Hello, comedy fans. John Marco Cerezi is a New York City-based stand-up comic. It's going to be here in Austin this weekend, January 6th and 7th. That's a Friday and Saturday night at Cap City Comedy Club. Two shows each night. You can go to capcitycomedy.com to get yourself those tickets. And now, my chat with John Marco Cerezi. John Marco, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm very good. I just found out... Uh, uh... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming to Austin. Just found out we're adding shows. Sales are so good, so I'm in a good mood. Oh, that's interesting. So I have uh, shows on January 6th and 7th, which is this Friday and Saturday. Uh-huh. And there been additional shows added each night. Is there an yes? Each night, okay. each night, there will now be two shows each night. So uh, feeling good. Good New Year surprise. Love to hear that. And uh, this new Cap City meets a high standard that was set with the old Cap City, which unfortunately was a COVID casualty, in part because the Helium people do such a good job with their comedy clubs. I'm curious, though, Austin is becoming a uh, real stand-up mecca in this country to go along with New York and uh, L.A. and I think Chicago to a slightly lesser degree. Have you been able to perform here in the capital city before? Yes. Uh, last year, I believe, I did The Creek in the Cave. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, it was, it's beautiful. It's it's a little it's a little hot for me for long term, but as a visitor, perfect. I get some you know, here's the thing though, I was gonna get breakfast tacos. I'm doing the whole thirty diet. I don't think I can eat any of that shit anymore. So I was uh, so excited and now I can't have any of it. It's so funny that you are doing the whole thirty diet because I literally am too in trying to uh, be less fat for my wife and I going on a beach vacation to Mexico here in a couple of weeks. How's your whole 30 diet going so far? I mean, let me tell you, we are cutting some corners right out the gate. We, we definitely said, okay, brown rice. That's okay. That's a, that's a big deal. My girlfriend's allowed to have three pieces of chocolate, three squares of chocolate. So we have, I would call it like a semi 30 whole 27. Something, something between. What, what Good is for the, you? What is the dark chocolate percentage rationalization that she's going with? Like 70, 75, 85? We determined uh, how many pieces of chocolate to so that she doesn't cry herself to sleep. And it was three. It was three right on the dot. She needs it. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break some rules now and then. So I give her the three pieces of chocolate. means that I get to like do you know a bagel every once in a while. We'll see. So you got to perform at the Creek in the Cave, which, by the way, doing so in the dead of last summer, which is one of literally the hottest summers on record in this city, that's already kind of considered the CrossFit gym of comedy clubs here in Austin. So that had to really? be especially sweltering. It, did you do the Creek in the Cave as a result of the connections that you have as a guy who is uh, based out of New York City? Yes, I, I did the Creek in the Cave sort of towards the end of, of New York, sort of like, you know, visiting uh, you know, when you see a skeleton of a dinosaur and you go, wow, this used to be a formidable beast. But uh, uh, it had delicious soup uh, here in New York. And I did a couple shows uh, for a couple people when I was here. So it was cool to see the space there. It's huge. I love the bear. Uh, it's it's just a, a stunning space there. But enough about the creek in the cave. I'm, I'm here to promote Cat City, which I'm very excited to see. Yeah, well, look, I am a, a big believer in Cap City, but there's great comedy all over the city. That's why it's important that I think that uh, Cap City was brought back, and it 
is really a beautiful space and one that I see a lot of local comedians doing a great job of honing their craft too. Is your home comedy club, uh, since it is New York, is it the comedy cellar right now? Is that where you uh, really cut your teeth? Yeah, I mean, that's not where I cut my teeth. I cut my teeth to get in there. Uh, I cut my teeth at a club called LOL Comedy Club, uh, which is uh, known as one of the worst comedy clubs in uh, the world. And uh, I still perform there sometimes. But sometimes I like to talk shit about it in public because I'm hoping it uh, – that's how I want to get out, you know. But even then, they'll still take me. So, LOL, that's where I cut my teeth, a rough-and-tumble comedy club where, where most of the people there, they don't even know they're at a comedy show. They, they thought they were going to see The Lion King. It's the kind of person who thought they could get day of tickets to The Lion King, and they go, oh, no. And then someone says – you know, Bill Burr's going to be at this club. And they go, I recognize that. And then they go, and then they see me and are deeply disappointed. And then they get the bill, and it's $1,000 for two bottles of water. So that's the club I cut my teeth at. But now, yes, the cellar is, uh, is my home for as, as much as they'll let me be there. And uh, I, I'm very grateful for that. That's got to be uh, pretty badass getting to walk into that place most, most nights, considering that it – really is the spot. I know there's an argument to be made about the comedy store too, but the level of talent going through that place on a night in night, night out basis is just bewildering. It's really, it's really exhausting to be, uh, to be frank. I want to be able to bomb on a show every once in a while. You go to the cell, you go, Oh shit. You know, I'm following a Z's. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta bring it. I can't work out that new whole 30 material I've been doing. And learning a little bit more about you on the Type 5 podcast, really good podcast talking to comedians, I learned that you are a big fan of feedback. You are always striving to get, be, uh, get better, and I'd say that the end result is great proof that uh, you're doing a pretty good job of that. And listening to comedians talk about how they get better at the art form, a lot do go back and watch and listen to themselves and take notes and figure out what worked and what did not. Is, is that kind of how you go about things, too, when you're trying to craft a joke? After every set, I, I listen back to it, and while I'm listening, I write down other professions I should pursue. And uh, uh, let me tell you, I, I am a listener backer. It's 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 sometimes it's a lot. You know, I, I'm going to this this weekend now. It'll be four headlining shows. That's like four and a half hours of stand up comedy to listen to. If I ever have a stalker, and they knew how much I listen to myself, they'd be like, "Whoa, that's a little <laughs> creepy, dude." So I, I am a big fan of listening back. Comics, listen, some comics can do do it without. Not me. Everyone has their own thing. So I, I know some comics, they've never written down a word in their life. I don't even know if they can spell or read or write. But they're amazing. For me, I'm, I'm a nerdy guy. I started in theater, so I was very used to, like, reading a script, memorizing the script. So I write down, I listen, I adjust. I work on the same joke for, for eight years and uh, sometimes it, it comes together, and sometimes I've just wasted a ginormous sum of my youth. I'm not sure how many people think that most stand-ups are up there just uh, riffing, going off the cuff. And there are certain guys that can definitely do that. But most people have a really good idea of what it is that they're going to say when they're out there. I mean, George Carlin was somebody who was rehearsed to the word. And it's part of the reason why he was so brilliant. And there is that performance art element for you as well. But you're such a good storyteller. 
and you've got this darkness about you that it just works really well. It's interesting, though, that as you just mentioned, you have more of that theater background. You didn't really crave being a stand up comic when you were a kid or uh, early on in your college days. And you moved to New York City to pursue acting take a class at Caroline's just to be able to say that you are a comedian as well, be able to put that on that proverbial card. Was there Uh a lesson that you learned about being funny at Caroline's though, that still sticks with you to this day? Well, the class was taught by a woman named Linda Smith. Okay. uh, uh, Who's, who's apparently kind of legendary in the eighties and nineties, I've been told. And um, God, I, I, so much of those classes, you know, people have different feelings about those classes, but it's just a deadline, really. It's a deadline that you have to get on stage and actually do the thing that you profess you want to do. And I think I just learned, you know, I watched it recently because I did it at Caroline's, which you might know, Caroline's just closed. Oh, I did. And yeah, Caroline's uh, just closed at the end of this past year. It was a, it was a loss. Um, and I got to do one set there last month, and I, I did you say that, one of you, you say that like a relative who has been suffering from dementia for the last five years. <laughs> five is generous. Uh, <laughs> it's a uh, it, it's a beautiful club. I, I had my first headlining show there, but I had my first set there, and I ended up doing like a joke from that set for my last set there. I thought it would be fun. And uh, I didn't go great. was not a great bit, turns out that my first bits were actually not very good at all. And um, I think I just learned uh, uh, from from Linda, who taught me there, the, the beginning machinations of what makes a joke and and just learning the ability to, to listen. There's just comedians who never get better, and it's like it feels like their ears must be broken. That is your ruler. To not be able to, to, to take it off the audience. It doesn't mean you have to crush every single time. You can't have bits that are darker. But if you can't incorporate the audience's response and use that as a rule to see where your material is going and how well you're articulating the funny idea, you're fucked. Uh, and if and listen, this is no, if you're a deaf comedian, all the more power to you. But you got to figure out something else. You got to be looking at the faces. You got to be doing something. And if you're, if you're blind and you're deaf, it's going to be a tough profession. I'm sure there's ways you can feel the faces. So I, was, I don't want to be ableist. But what I'm saying is if you can't hear, that is the best ruler you have. And I learned that, that, that beginning of that process with Linda Smith at Caroline's Comedy Club. I've got the solution for deaf comedians. And, of course, I'm in Texas, so everything harkens back to high school football here. You need to hire somebody who's like a hype man, but you have to call him the light switch man because what he's doing is he's reading the room and in the back of the room, there's a single light that's not distracting anybody. Anytime you get the crowd going or as much as you get the crowd going, that's how much the light switch is flickering off and on. Oh, wow. I like that. That, that, And the reason why that's connected to Texas high school football is there's a uh, team for the school of the deaf and they've actually been pretty good in the last few years and they do uh, they they do certain certain things where there's normally a horn with a light on either scoreboard so there you go awesome you uh, are somebody who uh, delves into the darkness as, as we've been talking about and you admitted on the tight five that uh, that does involve at least a little bit of bombing I guess in in 
trying to figure out how dark you've gone before. Have you ever tried the 9-11 joke? And if so, is it something that you were able to stick with? Because that's already such a touchy topic, especially in New York. Do you know which 9-11 joke? The, uh, the 9-11 joke I, I do that works. I don't do that often because it's it's a pretty oddball one. Was uh, It's it's not going to be funny given that we know the topic right now. But it was my girlfriend and I went to one of those interactive museums uh, where, you, you know, it's not really a museum. You take a bunch of Instagram pictures posing with all the exhibits. It's called the 9-11 Memorial. So that that usually works. Uh, what are the other nine? I, I, I have another. Yeah, I have a couple 9-11 jokes. And uh, I think the one I mentioned on that podcast, I haven't figured out yet. It was about um, there is a real person building the Titanic, rebuilding the Titanic, and it's going to go along the same route. And it was just the idea that that means, in theory, someday people will be selling plane rides through where the towers used to be. And I, I, it, felt, it felt very logical to me and funny. It, it never worked when I did it. It was a long time ago. I could try it again. But, like, I think the thing, and I think this is, like, the mistake – you know, comics who like dark humor can make is like, you can go as dark as you want, but the darker it is, the, the human beings, when you say nine eleven to someone, it automatically elicits if he, real normal human beings, not fucking crazy psychotic comedians. When you say nine eleven, it elicits the sadness in them. And it, it, in that sadness, you can really tickle them because you know, there's a vulnerability that's exposed, but your joke has to, Oh, beat that sadness. The, the funny has to beat the feeling of sadness. That's how funny it needs to be. So a lot of times you might have a funny thought, and it might be a decent joke, it might even do well online, but it just, in the moment with an audience, the sadness beats it. And that's when you get the, oh. Now, I saw uh, Jeff Sheen, who's a fantastic comedian in New York. He did my show uh, last uh, this past Sunday at Sesh Comedy Club. It's called The Silver Lining. And he had a joke about his grandmother dying. And I have a lot of grandma dying jokes, none of which have really, none of which I'm fully happy with yet. And he had a joke about his grandma dying after a fall. And uh, he says this on his album, so I think it's okay to say, he says, you know, she was murdered by the ground. And then and then talks about her, his grandma's last words, like, boop, 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 boop. And, and, it killed so hard. And I remember just watching it. I was like, that's, a, that's amazing because what he's saying is really sad. He's talking about his grandma who fell and died from a physical injury. And yet his, the, the humor and the turns of phrase just soared past it. The audience is laughing and then they're laughing on top of the fact that they can't believe they're laughing at this thing. And it's beautiful. And it, it really made me go like, Fuck my! It really made me go. My grandma jokes, my grandparent jokes, dead grandparent jokes are not quite there yet because it was just so beautiful. So, so yeah, I. But I'm sure when he was working it out, maybe, maybe he he came fully formed. I'm sure one day he says he made you know my grandmother uh, died from a fall. It's like it's like the floor killed her, and the audience was like, oh my god, what the fuck, dude. Uh. But you'd have to ask him. But it was a great bit. And that's 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 why I love dark humor. Because not only are you laughing at the joke, you, you cannot believe that you're laughing at the thing that you're laughing at.
Yeah, it's something that typically horrifies uh, a certain faction of society, but a lot of those people are also scared of their own shadow too. So in the profession that you're in where you're able to get away with it, and sometimes there's a larger point, and sometimes that point is just to make people laugh. I think that especially if you are in a way mocking your own grief, that that adds an acceptability to it too. So I, I hope you bring back that other 9-11 joke. I think there is a path there. <laughs> I'll keep working on it. Listening to comedians talk about really receiving sorts of validation to keep with it, to keep trying your hand at it. A lot, a lot of people have that moment where they hear from somebody whose work they admire, who really helps to encourage them to keep plowing forward. Do you have somebody like that in your comedy career, another uh, fellow comedian, somebody you find really funny who gave you that, those encouraging words? Oh, encouraging words. You know, they happen gradually. I, I like, I just, I, I really can think about when I was like coming up the first time uh, Matthew Broussard at a, at a show and I barely knew him was like, I like it what you're doing on Twitter. And it's like, you know, that was, uh, that was really exciting in that moment. Now I couldn't give a shit what Matthew tells me. Fuck Matthew. But in the moment, I was a young comic, and I know him from, from Conan and stuff, and I was like, wow, this really means a lot. So it's, it's just, it's gradual, and it's tough. I have to remind myself as a comedian, you know, I think when I see a really great comic, I know I'm not the only comic that feels this way. When you see a great comic, uh, feelings of self-loathing and uh, uh, just uh, envy about how good they are, they, 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 they happen. You see someone kill, and I, I really... And working to like tell the person how funny I think they are or how funny a bit was. And because I know how much it meant to, means to me coming up. Yeah, it's just along the way you get all sorts of people. And, and I have lots of people that I work with at the cellar who I think are fantastic comedians. Jeffrey Asmus, I always say, Caitlin Palufo, Renan Hirschberg, Jay Jordan is a good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, it's, it's whenever a comic tells you, oh, that bit, that was good. That, that, that feels really, really special. And, and it lets you know, you know, you, you go on the road, you can lose a sense of like what, what smart comedy is. Because you know from the road that hacky comedy can work. And it just feels nice when you have a comedian that you respect their work. If they say something about a specific joke, you, it, it makes you feel a little bit more grounded. It makes you feel like, okay, I'm still on the path, the path to being a, a good comedian. That's cool to hear. And last question, you uh, are the host of the Downside podcast, which are uh, conversations with, I think it's mostly, if not all your fellow comedians, where you uh, it's rooted in. Uh, something that you consider to be the downside of life in a moment, or your guest does anyhow. And uh, that that is based on you kind of being a lifelong cynic. I am also a lifelong cynic. So what's something that you're cynical about right now that you are trying to turn into a bit on stage but aren't quite there just yet? Ooh, boy. I am – I got to figure out one that isn't, that, that isn't so offensive that out of context at all. Oh, I know exactly what it is. So I'm doing a chunk right now about a gun show I went to in Florida. And it's just kind of like, I, I, I like to think of it like it's, it's a bit where I really try to show how both sides of the gun debate have uh, some very emotionally valid points. And it, I think that's kind of my goal is I really want you to feel like 
I'm if 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 we have different beliefs, I want you to feel like I'm on your side for a moment, and then maybe not, and vice versa. Um, and in a bit where I can do it in a liberal place like New York, and then a more conservative city, and uh, the, the the joke that offends here is going to be applauded uh, there, and vice versa. I want everyone to walk away a little bit like fuck this guy. <laughs> uh, and the the joke I'm really working on ultimately it's an idea about how Hollywood is. Hip, hypocritical about guns because it's all these liberals who claim to be anti-guns, but they make most of their money making movies that where the guns are like the main character. And it's the idea that they should that if they really were anti-guns, they make more karate movies. And and ultimately, the the punchline that is not working is um, Hollywood's done stuff like this with other other things. Like everyone in movies used to smoke cigarettes, and then there was a big backlash against tobacco and now pretty much no one smokes cigarettes everyone vapes and i feel like karate karate is the vaping of violence because uh it, it yeah it, it'll kill you but it takes so long and then that's good because we all know it takes a lot of time for the cops to go in the building and there's something about it it's it's like i don't know you know it's it was inspired obviously about the horrific tragedy in in texas where the cops waited like an insanely long amount of time before they went in the building and it's it's like this part of it I, I don't know if it's been too long since that thing part of it is like again back to my original point shootings are extremely tragic and if you're going to make a joke about that it really has to the point you're making and the punchline have to super have to overcome one of the biggest tragedies in the world. And if it doesn't, it's going to get a, oh, and I don't want that. He is Gianmarco Ceresi. You can catch him this weekend at Cap City Comedy Club. It is Friday and Saturday night, two shows each night, extra shows just added, which means there's going to be some uh, really good reserved tickets near the front of the stage. Beautiful club, by the way. So well set up. Perfect sound. As much as I love the old Cap City, I'm not going to lie. The new club, it blows it away just in terms of the aesthetic. And then also the caliber of comedian that they're bringing in as well. Go to CapCityComedy.com to grab yourself those tickets. And Gianmarco, where can people find you uh, online? You find me online. It's my name, at Gianmarco Cerezi on all platforms. And uh, listen to my podcast, The Downside. Thank you so much, Gianmarco. Safe travels here and back this weekend. Thank you. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for tuning in. For more of the show and to connect on social media, visit BooksOnPod.com. Talk to you next time on Books on Pod.